This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Shake them ropes. An episode that almost didn't happen. Around Tuesday, I was just thinking I felt, I felt filthy for supporting this company in any way, even though I don't, I criticize it heavily and it just got worse from there. Meanwhile, hurting cats on the other end of this conversation is Chris Novembrino. Chris, do we have everything under control now? Yeah, I believe the cat house is now under control. Uh, What's, I try to assure people that things are really not like madness over here most of the time because I still have the foster cat. Um, and that's sort of true. And, and I got to be honest, the foster cat's not really as much of the problem. It's just the dynamic between my oldest and uh, my youngest, Shadow and Hazy. And Shadow, like, wants to play with both Chesterfield and Hazy, and Hazy does not want to play, which makes him want to play with her more. But, like... It's not taking a violent turn on his end. He doesn't hurt her, but he'll fucking corner her, and then she'll pee everywhere, um, which is what happened when we were trying to get set up for this show here. Um, she uh, got, like, scared into a corner. Hawkins is talking about, I don't know, some important thing. I was listening. Um, and all of a sudden, I start hearing screeching downstairs, and I'm like, oh, I'll just listen. I'll just finish listening intensely to what Hawkins is saying here. And then I was like, you know, I really should go down. It sounds a little bit louder than normal. Um, and I go down and I see that Hayes is in the corner. I got, I go to try to fish her out and grab her. And now I have a hand covered in water, but I had just cleaned the kitchen counters this morning, Jeff. Like I have been keeping my kitchen of all places in the house, freaking spotless in, in these times. Um, that's where you prepare all your food that goes into your belly. Um, so what was this water, Jeff? It was not water. It was, cat urine and uh so then um i i managed because i am a professional like i'm a broadcast professional i um knuckled through this and wait we get paid for this hold on <laughs> no and I, I'm, I'm furloughed from my real life job too so if you want to yeah. sign up to the don't worry about the government patreon hey the shake the uh, ropes patreon still going either or um yeah please consider signing up patreon.com slash dwatg patreon.com slash shake them ropes uh go and check those out and support our uh antics over here but um i soldiered through it um uh, and uh yeah that was that was unpleasant um and, and like i gotta tell you unpleasant uh that was actually that was over faster than watching the wwe product this week and it was unpleasant like not because it was like necessarily bad wrestling right it was unpleasant because of everything that was going on outside the company, it just made what was on the television feel inconsequential. I didn't, I wasn't like overwhelmed with guilt or shame that I'm somehow like participating or enabling WWE by watching them, uh, especially not through the means that I watch them. But I was certainly thinking about like, wow, this television product we've been complaining for months that, like, what happened two weeks ago has no bearing on what's going to happen two weeks from now. But, like, never has that felt more true than this week of television. I did think they did some good things, though. I, you know, let's start with the good. The the news section is going to be huge because I'm going to go by the week because 
we recorded last week on Thursday. And then Friday is when everything started to happen. So, you know, I mean, on the shows across the board, I thought the Tim Thatcher debut was very, very good. Uh, what they did on NXT. Um, I'm happy on SmackDown that Cal Bloom debuted. Son of the great Wayne the Train Bloom from the Beverly Brothers and the Destruction Crew. Uh, you know, uh, the Forgotten Sons debuted on SmackDown on the following Friday, and they got a pretty good vignette this week. Uh, you know, and, and the Charlotte Flair vignette on NXT I thought was quite good in terms of telling her story and her motivation for why she's on this show that we don't normally see her. But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot to write home about. I mean, Thatcher, I th- it's weird because they got Thatcher right. And Thatcher is such a guy that they could get wrong very easily. They call them the meanest son of a bitch uh, in, uh, in the company or something like that, as opposed to a technical wrestler who blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it was really well done, I thought. But uh, I, I mean, the problem show. is now that people aren't watching, right? Like that the ratings are way yeah. down and, and they've been on this down arc. So you, you can have a really nice television product, but if people aren't watching it, how nice is that television product? True. And NXT's beaten AEW again. They didn't win the quote unquote demographic of 18 to 49, but they won in total viewers. So that makes things. Even- yeah. But the, the pie keeps getting smaller every week. Yes, and that's no, the real I story. Agree. Yeah. Everybody has stopped. It's weird because it's the only live programming that's really going on right now other than, you know, Zoom talk shows and things like that, and nobody's watching it. They're deciding to binge on Netflix or watch cable or or whatever, and it gets into part of the moves that WWE made this week because WWE was acting like companies are going to renege on their contracts and things like that because they're supposed to go live. And, you know, there's really no use for it, to be honest with you, but... um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't. I see no point in them putting on a, a live wrestling show with a skeleton crew. I'd much rather them have a nicely edited together show that is a series of segments made with skeleton crews each, but just done in a more purposeful way with smaller personnel and broken down into chunks. And heartbreaking to my interest, I did watch both AEW and NXT this week, and uh, Britt Baker's doing a better role model gimmick than Bailey is. <laughs> yeah, I have to say it. I mean, that vignette was pretty well done, too. But here's the week that was in WWE. Friday, the Revival finally get their releases from, from WWE. Just tweeted something out because somebody came out with the uh, the plans to turn Revival into a comedy team that Vince McMahon had with different outfits and whatnot. They look like jesters, yes. like court jesters. Yes, and I think that's the point. It's, oh, these super serious guys think they're super serious. We're going to make them the court jesters. Look at us. Let me credit who that was. Uh, vamp for a little bit. I'm always reminded of whenever we see these really stupid gimmicks this story about vince and uh may young and mark henry where uh, you might remember the angle where may young gives birth to a hand and mark henry eventually goes up to vince and asks vince why did may young give birth to a hand and vince's response to this was it's a hand and then he just starts laughing hysterically 
Like yeah. he thinks things that are funny. He finds things funny that like normal people just wouldn't find funny because there's no like through line premise. Yeah, giving credit to Bodyslam.net, Casty Haynes over there tweeted out the photos of this, and they look like jester pirates. Uh, Dash is kind of looking like Flavor Flav with a giant chain and a big old <laughs> the giant shatter machine. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, thank God they're out of there. And I love the idea of not going to AEW first, doing a s- small tour of other places like even even like one taping of the nwa and having their tag titles and losing it i think would be a big thrill for them i i mean with the releases we'll get to later i like the idea of short-term contracts and programs that mean something while those guys are there you know if you brought in like an eric rowan who was cut this week on like an abdul the butcher type contract where he's in there for one program pretty much and trying to destroy a guy and out of there sure it doesn't do a lot for economic security but it makes a lot of sense from a wrestling thing in terms of people kind of getting excited about the whole business where are people going to show up etc i also think that it will result in kind of more purpose-driven creative because i mean one of the problems and like this is a problem with wwe obviously we can talk deeper about their financials and i have much deeper thoughts about that but one of the things that wwe was doing was they're just signing people to sign them to keep them from other people getting them and then you just have these guys sitting around collecting dust and i for a wrestler i i mean if the paycheck is good enough okay, maybe you've now maximized, you know, what your value is as a wrestling act and sitting there collecting dust doesn't do wear and tear on your body, um, you know, or it puts limited wear and tear on your body versus, uh, you know, working main event, working uh, superstars in that circuit doing the seven minute matches versus like the 20 minute, you know, off the ladder stuff. But um, I, I think for a wrestler trying to maintain their brand, and to continue marketing their brand and build it up a little bit more, these purpose-driven quick stints, it gets some eyes on the product. Oh, hey, John Moxley is going to go over to WXW and do a quick little pop over there, or you know, whoever, Walter, let's say. Um, I, I think it makes it makes people more likely to go and check out that product. And, and also for the wrestler, it makes people more into their particular brand. You might want to follow them around. Also Friday, the XFL shuttered for the year and released all employees and said they would not run in 2021. There'd be more news coming Monday. They're done, right? Yes, they filed for bankruptcy on Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. No, that, the, the dream is dead. Yeah, pretty much. They should have used my theme songs. Like I was, <laughs> I was turning them around. I mean, part I definitely a big problem was the lack of good theme songs, right? Oh God, those theme songs were terrible. <laughs> right, they Not were really ours, bad. No, no, yeah. no, ours were good. Yeah, yeah. no, Kaka. Uh, yeah, these were good theme songs. But um, yeah, I, I think if they had just gotten that right, maybe maybe this would be a different thing right now. Backstage, they'd also decided on a cruiserweight tournament for an interim championship because Jordan Devlin is stuck in his home country. Would be two groups of four doing round robins, if you think. And you know, New Japan or even uh, or New Japan G1 or even uh, the old NWA Starcade 89 Future Shock that is what a round robin tournament is. If you don't know what that is, four people in each bracket with the winners of each fighting for the interim title. Among those in there, uh, El Hio del Fantasma, Jack Gallagher, 
uh, Drake Maverick, <laughs> Jake Atlas, who <laughs> debuted and lost. Um, so that's interesting. We'll get a little bit more into that when I talk about Drake Maverick. Uh, but they're yeah, it's not without intrigue, but like, you know, it, it's also one, the Cruiserweight title as a brand means absolutely nothing right now. I agree. It's yeah. weird that they're doing yeah. this. And, and so especially- you're running all this narrative through a title that no one cares about. One person quite angry about not being included in this tournament was Leo Rush. More on him later. <laughs> also Friday, the decision to scrap the tapings for SmackDown and go live happened on Friday. <laughs> they taped 205 Live and SmackDown, and they were told to tape this week's SmackDown as close to live as possible. Now, it's interesting because they decided to go live because Vince McMahon was scared at the time that Fox and USA might renege on the broadcast deals because they weren't going live. And I don't know if that was part of the contract or not, but Here's my question. Is Vince just projecting what he would do? <laughs> because it seems like these television networks. Are yeah, that, that feels like projection, right? It yeah, feels that, like, it, it feels like it's got to be projection. I, can, I couldn't imagine these networks because the flip of this would be if Vince was really worried about his company and his employees more on that or his independent contractors more on that in a little bit. Um, he could be pushing back on these networks and saying, we're not running live. Damn it. Because I'm worried about the safety of the people who work for me. Um, and I want to make sure that they have the safest possible work environment. So we're going to turn in a pre-taped product. I don't expect that either one of these networks would give any meaningful pushback. But if they did, he's got a plausible defense that he was trying to look out for the best safety of his workers. Yes, the call was made by Vince to go live. So it wasn't TV networks pressuring him for live content. I think they're just happy to have content right now. So I, I could not see a television network, as heartless as they may be, going, hey, you know what? We need to put pressure on you to go live. <laughs> you know, much, like, much like the UFC Disney situation. I, I, just, I just see that as it's, it's the promoter wanting to be the guy out there all alone with this market that he can plant his flag on versus any pressure from a television network saying we need live, live content right now. This has been a strikingly bad long-term call over the last six weeks here. Yeah, he wanted to stick it out. He wanted to zig when everyone was zagging on COVID-19. And his belief was that when you zig what everyone else is zagging, you've got a much more wide open road to go on. You can get all the eyes on your product. People will be really interested in what you're doing. And it hasn't worked out for him in the slightest. Yeah, I, uh, he and Dana White are not uh, <laughs> are not uh, are not shining stars on that on that hill or whatever I want to say there. I don't know what I wanted to say. There's shining cities on hills, but I'm thinking shining stars in the sky. But uh, <laughs> guess what? More on them in a bit. <laughs> so we get to Monday. WWE and other sports events running live for no audience are considered essential by the state of Florida. Now, a few people got a little over their skis and thought it was just WWE. No, the governor there wanted all sports running because of the essential nature of the economy that leisure and entertainment bring 
even though there's no audience. I, like, it's important to Florida. I, I mean, I, I, I don't agree at all with the governor of Florida on this and also his inability to put on masks is pretty funny. Yeah, uh, but, well, there's, <laughs> also, there's also the tie-in, and this could be correlation is causation. I don't know. It looks scummy in that Linda McMahon super PAC gave tens of millions of dollars to the state of Florida right before they were included in this essential thing. It doesn't look good. It doesn't like look good uh, on, I think it was Thursday when the president's doing his uh, briefing and he's rattling off all of these companies and naming all these CEOs. But when he gets to Vince McMahon, he goes, the great Vince McMahon. Like, like there's this little extra linger on Vince's day. Like all, all this stuff. It doesn't look good. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, no, this is not a great situation in Florida right now. Also on Monday, the XFL filed for bankruptcy despite Vince McMahon having set aside three years worth of operating expenses to run. Not included on the list of debtors and creditors is the commissioner, uh, Andrew Luck's father, who was getting $20 million a year. So it looks like he's getting paid still. Uh it, you got to understand what a chance he took coming onto this league to guide it. He could have been head of the NCAA. Uh, he was on that trajectory and he decided to take a chance and, and run this football league. Uh, didn't even last a season was, was hyped as hell for, by the networks that carried it. They did a hell of a job broadcasting this thing. They still had some kinks to work out. I personally love the kickoff rule that they have. I think, I think that's brilliant. And it's going to cut down on a lot of concussions if the NFL decides to take on something like that. Did you watch any of this? Chris? I never watched, okay. I never watched any XFL. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, no. I, I mean, I don't really watch that much NFL. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I never caught any of the XFL. Uh, but – I think that what's happening with the XFL is certainly motivating a lot of Vince's panic moves over on the WWE side. I think it, it was motivating part of him wanting to stick it out uh, going into WrestleMania. It's motivating a lot of the decisions that he made over the last week here. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it always seemed like it was going to be a lot for him to manage at the same time in sort of a blue sky scenario. And now we're very much out of that blue sky scenario. Tuesday was more of a day of chatter because they're talking about the live taping schedules. And unfortunately, a lot of people were re this is where I got really down. Uh, a lot of people were retweeting the Armin Katayan Vince McMahon interview and also the Bob Costas Vince McMahon interview. And in my head, I am just thinking if someone actually catches COVID-19 and passes away from it, Vince McMahon is going to say it's their fault for having a previous condition before they got to WWE or that they were independent contractors and of their own volition decided to work. And I just, I felt, I know it, that's fantasy booking, Chris, but it really got to me, especially the Armin Katayan video about wrestlers who were dying under the age of 45. Yeah, right, and right. It just, it, it's, I, I asked this question. Do you think Vince McMahon has an actual friend? Like somebody he calls up like to have beers with, or to hang out at his, you know, New York apartment because he doesn't live in Stanford, really, I don't believe anymore. Or does, does he have people who are 
useful to him at the time. Yeah, he's got people who work for him at the company and he's a workaholic. So he thinks that because he sees these people all the time in a work context that they're basically friends, but friendship is actually doing stuff completely independent of a work context. And one of the things I always think about in terms of like Vince having friends, right, is Vince has the weirdest eating habits. I mean, we're seeing AEW play around with this with Brody Lee, but Vince's weird relationship with food, it's one of those things that seems small, but like we eat to be social, right? Like how you make friends with people is you go out and you get food with each other and you, you eat and you have this like shared experience. And Vince's whole way of doing that is weird. Vince has all these weird social like phobias and faux pas about like coughing and stuff. Those seem like they'd push people away. Vince, of course, likes to flex on people and make people do weird, humiliating things and likes to have control over people. I mean, just like pushing people into the pool, right? Like, It'd be hard to really consider Vince your friend more you'd consider him your patron or benefactor, a guy who has taken good care of you in a business context and seems to care about you on some level as a human. But I, I don't think that you could ever really have like a friendship with Vince um, after the year 2000. He just seems like he's kind of too absorbed in the business by that point. Right. And also, you know, everybody's like, oh, man, his friend Trump. I'm like, I don't think Vince McMahon and Trump are friends. <laughs> you know, I, I just see him as... I've always found that relationship weird, right? Like, I, I sort of think, like, Vince, like, looked up to Trump. Yes. No, that's yeah. exactly what I think. I think Vince looks up to Trump. I think Vince has certain imposter syndrome. Like, he goes into this room of businessmen, and he's, ju he's just a wrestling promoter. And he so much wants to be part of the club. And he's wearing this tux, and it doesn't feel like him, really. You know, it's, it's, yeah, in this sense, they're very similar, or have had very similar like career experiences too. Um, I mean, I think back to that run, and like at that point, now that we know what we know about Trump's financials, like Vince and Trump were probably much closer in terms of net worth than either of them realized at that point. Wednesday, the hammer drops. All talent are supposed to call in for a conference call. And Vince reads off a statement straight out of the third draft of the PR department. No heartfeltness at all. Got it from Fightful.com on their select paywall. If you'd like me to read it, I will. You know what's funny about that, too? Oh, real quickly, because you brought up the old interviews. The other one I was thinking about, um, I was watching Dark Side of the Ring about uh, Bret Hart and the Montreal Screwjob. Mm -hmm. And that first Mr. McMahon interview that they ran on Monday Night Raw, that was meant to garner some degree of sympathy for Vince, but Vince was so, like, into his, like, weird business jargon, Sun Tzu, art of war type of talk, like, Brett screwed Brett, you gotta have personal accountability. <laughs> like, it, it ended up making him a giant heel. Like, Dude, I don't know if he I, knows how to be sympathetic. I read this statement he read on the, on the conference call, and I'm just thinking right after this, all the employees who weren't cut had have to call in again. And he gives some, man, we were a bloated company. Now we're going to get lean and mean. And, and, you know, and he adds like the art of war and like the prints on his bookshelf behind him, even though he's probably never read it before in his life or even cracked it open. And it's like, our problem was complacency. We got big and soft and now we're going to be hungry again. You know, that kind of We got to be like water. We got to yeah. adapt to the container that yeah. we're in. 
Anyways, thanks to Fightful. Here's the text of that call. Thank you all for joining me today. First and foremost, I hope that you and your families are safe. What we're going through today is unprecedented, and there's no doubt these are challenging times for everyone. Given the adverse effects of the coronavirus and the resulting financial recession, WWE, like so many companies, have to decrease operating expenses. Effective immediately, we are reducing executive and board member compensation, decreasing talent expenses, cutting third-party staffing and consulting, and improving our cash flow by delaying the production of our new headquarters for at least six months. Despite all these measures, given the uncertainty we are facing today, unfortunately, we'll have to temporarily reduce headcount. As such, a number of WWE employees will be furloughed from the company today. At the close of my remarks, employees will receive a communication detailing their individual situations. More specifically, those impacted by the furloughs will receive a text message from Human Resources with specific information for their next steps. These are not easy decisions, but reflect the reality of the environment we're working in today. We live in a world of troubled times. I'm confident as a company, and most importantly, confident in you as individual employees will pull through these tough times and come back to work and make life better than it's ever been. Thank you. Oh, then yeah. <laughs> the texts start coming out. Now, first of all, I bet every board member on that board of directors, other than people with the last name McMahon, got a salary cut, including Triple H. I'm betting Triple H got a salary cut. (laughs) And I bet you Vince pitched it to Triple H as some sort of way of showing solidarity with the boys. Or, or, hey, you know, NXT hasn't been going that well. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of a performance thing. I mean, uh, so we're, we're dinging Vince for all these bad business decisions, but one thing I do have to give him mild credit for is um, that big sell-off at $80 a share that they did. Yeah. That is, that is looking like a much wiser move in hindsight. Quickly going through the list, Drake Maverick, Kurt Hawkins, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, EC3, Leo Rush, Eric Young, Heath Slater, Aiden English, Kurt Angle, Sarah Logan, Eric Rowan, Primo, Epico, Mike Canellis, Maria Canellis, Zach Ryder, No Way Jose, and Rusev, all the main roster cuts announced. NXT was done on the sly, so we're still getting information about that. But Deanna Perrazzo, Alexander Jackson, MJ Jenkins, Dan Matha, ring announcer and, and 205 commentator John, John LaQuasto, interviewer Kathy Campanelli, a.k.a. Alyssa Marino, a.k.a. Cat Marino, uh, wasn't an, uh, these weren't announced, but they were done either earlier in the week or during this time. Cassius Ono has gotten his release. Tenera, Tenara Conti was released. Tino Sabatelli was released. Cesar Barnari and Mars Wang. They also made cuts to referees and production staff. Mike Chioda, Billy Kidman, Scott Armstrong, David Finley, Lance Storm, Pat Buck, um, Where's the oh Sarah Stock, Shane Helms, Sean Davari. And then also a lot of writers who weren't necessarily announced. The most high profile, which was Andrea Lisberger, who is a member of the Pack Theater out here, the theater I call home. I do not personally know her, but Chris, she was responsible for the Otis and Mandy storyline and also a lot of what Miz and Morrison were doing. And you have 41 writers. That's crazy. And they really they love those storylines. Yes. So here is my thinking, and I'll get into a couple of the individuals who were cut before, but here's one. They said that the producers were furloughed for now, but it was mostly based on age. Now, I'm not going to accuse Vince of sexism, but <laughs> I'm thinking maybe he cut the woman 
just to cut the women. I, I got to be honest with you. My, my, if you're getting stuff on TV and stuff that is well-received, I can't fathom, unless you have a major league contract, which I know most of those writers don't, I can't fathom why you fire somebody like that. Well, no, I'll go one step further. Age is like a bit of a fig leaf here, right? Because Vince and WWE does not tend to have women of middle or advanced age on your staff. She's not older, though. That's the thing. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying that, like, they might be saying we're cutting because of age because they're younger and we think they're more likely to land on their feet and don't need the job as much. Um, But, like, all of the women – are going to be under the age of 40 in general is my point. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is, is the age thing. It kills me that WWE thinks that they're this youth oriented company because they're always looking for people who with good pop cultural reference in their, in the writer's descriptions. And, you know, I think you need age in terms of producing matches because guys who know things as opposed to like some 30 year old. I mean, there are some people back there who are still fairly young. Um, Joseph Parks, a.k.a. Abyss, still back there. But, you know, Jeff Jarrett is still back there. He's kind of older, too. But it's just funny if, 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 if they're going with youth movement versus just cutting a lot of people off. I, I forgot some people in here. There are some NXT trainers as well. Serena Deeb among, among them. Uh, Ace Steel. Uh, I don't have the names in front of me either, but, you know, you can read them all. The guy I feel foremost, though, is Drake Maverick. Because Drake Maverick, number one, gets over everywhere he is. Number two, was a great employee. Great babyface commissioner. Filmed stuff at his wedding for this stupid 24-7 title. And all he ever really wanted to do was be a wrestler in the WWE. That was his dream. And he was finally going to get that chance in this cruiserweight title thing that I guess he didn't plan enough ahead to not put a guy they were going to fire two day or two or three days later. In. I mean, that tells you so much about the thought process and decision-making at this company right now, right? Yeah. And he's going to still wrestle for him. I think he's wrestling, you know, and showing he's a good employee, but I guess it's just to fulfill the dream part. I, God, I mean, watching that video of him, Oddly enough, the only thing I could think of was that stupid Braun Strowman statement a couple weeks ago where independent wrestlers need to hustle more, and yet his two best friends on the roster just get fired. Is he going to give him a bootstrap speech now? Let's put it this way. If you are made and you are – and this is, what dro- this is what drove me nuts. It wasn't that WWE could have kept these people because, look, they have a nine-figure – rainy day fund pretty much for these things they could have kept going they could have kept these people that makes me i mean angry. yeah the, the, no the big thing and our voices put a really good tweet on this the, yeah. i mean the big thing is that like unlike let's say the nba or the nfl where the budget and the amount of profit that the talent takes home is something closer to 50 percent um in wwe the talent budget's something like 10 percent WWE had more than enough money to keep these people, especially on their contracts. Uh, what, what's the term for when they're not using you, but you're just kind of like on rider or whatever? 
I for, I forget what their term for it is, but they they I mean they have a whole way of essentially keeping people largely on retainer and keeping a paycheck so that they can keep the rent going, keep the lights on and keep living during this time. WWE was actually well positioned to take care of their independent contractors if they wanted to. Yeah, I you know, I always look at it as a sh- from a showbiz perspective and if you have a job, you're the lucky one. And you know, I also there's a part of me that goes, you know what? WWE should have never hired a lot of these people knowing that they were going to have this bloated payroll only to then fire them. And each wrestler knows how WWE is, but they tell you, hey, if you work hard and you get yourself over, we'll take care of you, blah, 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 blah. And everybody thinks it's not going to be them. But the thing that makes me angriest of everything is the false sincerity as a business decision in social media that they did after this. I swear to God, Chris, I, I'm, I'm not Mr. Conspiracy Theory in any way, shape, or form, but it looks like an edict went out for all talent to, to tweet a broken heart emoji afterwards. And Stephanie McMahon tweeting things out like, it's a real tough day for our family here at WWE. You know what? When people are losing their jobs, everybody who gets to keep their job needs to shut up. They don't need to show sympathy. They don't need to be out there going, man, I feel so bad for you guys right now. Shut up. It's the old Tom Berenger line from Major League. You know what? Control your happiness with your success while other guys are getting their news about dying and going to the minors. Shut up. Especially Seth Rollins. I don't know why people are being so tough on the company right now. Be quiet, Seth. People are losing their jobs. Let's, ha- let's let them grieve for a bit before you start commenting on things. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess on some level, I, I'm modestly sympathetic to the idea that Seth Rollins is not trying to jeopardize his position in the company. But I, I guess all I could say is that, like, whatever Seth runs his mouth, like, in situations like this, it's not really improving his position no. in the company either. Now, it really threw a wrench into plans for Friday because they ended up firing both announcers for 205 Live. You'll notice that 205 Live did not run this week. Um, in terms of guys being okay, Gallows and Anderson are going to have a job at New Japan tomorrow if they yeah, want. Yeah, or, I mean, I mean, theoretically, they could end up going over to AEW if they wanted to. Yeah, I, I could see maybe Zack Ryder getting a new lease on life in, in, in a company because he's so good and he's so good at marketing himself that he could be reborn uh, Ryder could very easily be reborn in AEW as well like he's another guy where I could especially because that fan is a little bit more savvy onto the machinations of the business and the general consensus if you are savvy to the machinations of the business is that Zack Ryder has gotten a very very raw deal um, I, I think Drake there'll Maverick be a lot of goodwill too. behind it yeah same thing with Drake Maverick I think there'll be a lot of goodwill behind him Maverick is also just someone who can slot into a lot of roles. He can be that baby face rock star spud underdog character. He can be the little slippery shit character. He can be a really good commissioner type guy. He can be a good announcer. He can be a good manager. He's just got a lot of, a lot of tread left on those tires, man. I could see Rusev going to AEW if they offer him something. I could see him going to New Japan if they offer him something. I, I would care. love him in the G1. I would love a tag team with him and Jeff Cobb somewhere down the road, just throwing guys and smacking fools. Um, 
I could see Leo Rush in AEW. Yeah, he's another guy who I think would do really well there. I could see him go over to New Japan and do yes. like Best of the Super Juniors. Best of the Super Juniors, and ha- exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah that'd and that'd be a really great place for him to make a splash. I could see Slater anywhere. I could see EC3 and uh, Eric Young getting another shot at TNA because Scott Demore is running things there. EC3 could also reunite with Drake Maverick. I mean, those two yeah. guys have always had on-screen chemistry together. The Canalises will probably end up in Ring of Honor, is my guess. Uh, so, so I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's they're that. a good example of people who came in with no clear plan though, and yeah. just milked the contract. And so, like to go back to that point though, because I, I like, I think that's an important point. Like, you can't go into WWE thinking that they're going to maximize you, and there are yes. definitely some people who come in with that mindset. Now, at the same time. That does not excuse away. I think sometimes we bring up that point, but we remove the agency from WWE. No. It's not okay for them. I'm not saying you're doing it. I'm, okay. I'm saying more broadly. Like, it's not okay for them to lie their asses off to you to get you in the door and then essentially do some version of a bait and switch, which is a story that you hear so often, especially when things go wrong. They say, come back, we're going to make things better. Mm-hmm. And that's when all of a sudden you get the clown nose and you've got the Dean Ambrose hot dog cart. Soon as that ink is dry on the contract, you're theirs. And, uh, and then they're going to do what they want to do with you. You get punished for ever using your leverage. Yes, exactly. It's exactly it. It's like, oh, you want to make a big, better deal? Hey, hey, you know what? We're friends. We're family. Just come on in, sign the deal. You know, we'll make it better. We'll give you a run with the, with some mid card title. You know, we really haven't taken care of your brand. You're exactly right. And if you if you just come back, we're gonna give you more money. We're gonna we're gonna increase. You can increase your lifestyle. You'll have a college fund for your kids. Go ahead and sign. Yeah, there you go. Sign that deal. All right, perfect. Put a clown nose on him. Uh, let's get the liquid heat and put it in his trunks. We're going to do a, <laughs> you know, it's just. It You're wrestling in the town. mud pit with Vicky Guerrero yes. tonight. Kid. Becomes a clown town, but I love Joe lands on the flagship this week. Cause he, he, he's dead right on this. I am interested to see no way Jose on the Indies because I had forgotten about this match. If you go back and you watch the Austin Aries, no way Jose match in NXT, when Austin Aries still cared and was really one of the best things about NXT, that match is awesome. And no way Jose has chops. I, I, I made this as a joke, but I'm here for him becoming the next human tornado on the Indies. I, I, I think he is athletic as hell. He obviously knows how to entertain if you needed him to do that. But you know what? If he got a total repackaging somewhere, I think he might be okay. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. I, I think that there's there's a lot there with uh, No Way Jose. What, why did um why did Hulk Hogan come up this week? Uh, you and I were oh, talking here we about go. him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's get into Hogan. Friday, the death of possibly one of the other than Gene Okerlund, one of the mainstays when you talk WWF slash WWE. Howard Finkel, announcer for the WWF, passed away. Um, it, <laughs> because Friday night made me angry too, Chris, I'll, I'll Hulk Hogan in it. Everybody's tweeting condolences and how much of a caring person he is, but Hogan set me off 
because he he took it an extra step and i will i will get his tweet first of all what are your memories of howard finkel i mean like howard finkel is the announcer guy when you go back and watch all the 80s wwf like so to so to me he really was the announcer um and it was weird when they when when he got sunsetted off of tv it was like the that was one of the marks of this is the end of that era, right? Like the company had went from being WWF to being WWE. Finkel's getting wound down off of TV. But like, dude, I mean, he, he's the voice of all of those old, really cool 80s shows that they had. All right, I'm scrolling through here trying to find this tweet of mine that just... I had the Hogan fans getting into me. I had... Uh, here it is. Howard Finkel misspelled Finkel by the way, was on Team Hogan through the good and bad times. Even when I was on the outs, Howard would call on a consistent basis to tell me to always keep my head up. It was never say never, and you and Vince will work it out. My good friend, RIP, I love you for life, HH. Chris, why was he on the outs from WWE? It was entirely of his own making. Yes. I mean, every part of that, there's no actual memories of Howard Finkel other than Howard Finkel as a support character yes. in my own life. It's not, <laughs> this man didn't have his own family. He didn't have his own friends, kids, dreams, passions. No story where Finkel is actually the center of the story and you're the support character. No, it's all about you. Once again, I, I read that, and two seconds later, I retweet, You made it about you. And the number of DMs I got from Hogan fans saying, Oh, no, he was just, he was telling a nice story about his time with our fans. I go, No, everything was through the prism of how he was wrongly on the outsider. And he WWE. always does this. He, this is this is consistent <laughs> with a body of work for Hulk Hogan. Um, and, and I like I I went in on this, and I, I gotta go off here. So like, I get it online, especially online. It's fun to take a contrarian position, and there are certain debates that are interesting. I come down on one side of them. For example, Chris Benoit. You've got a you've got a debate there where there are two sides. One side you've got. A wrestler with a tremendous body of matches, a tremendous body of work, a tremendous influence on the business and on technical wrestling. On the other side here, Chris Benoit also did something awful. So does that color your ability to go back and watch that content? Interesting debate. People's mileage on that varies. Here's why the Hulk Hogan debate is not like that. Hulk Hogan fans, Hulk Hogan fans, name me one good, as in like, you watch it because it's a good wrestling match from beginning, middle to end, Hulk Hogan match. And I bet you can't name me five. I mean, the, like the problem with Hulk Hogan, like what, what people are, people are trying to save Hulk Hogan because they think he's important to wrestling history. And he is, but he's important in wrestling history in the sense that he grossed a ton of money for Vince McMahon in the 80s. In the 90s, he rebranded himself as a heel, and he was a major driver of the business in the 90s when people thought he was past his prime. He's one of the all-time great wrestling businessmen. But in terms of his actual contribution to Between the Ropes wrestling, it's limited. Uh, there, there is no great move that Hulk Hogan brought to the table. Psychosis does a better leg drop than Hulk Hogan does. 
Uh, I mean, and there's any number of people. I think Diesel does a better big boot than Hulk Hogan does. He didn't innovate anything inside of the ropes. And so there's like weird project to keep saving him. I, I don't see why. You don't want to play as him on the video games. He's boring to play on as the video games. <laughs> well, for me, it was more when you're giving a eulogy, you can have a personal anecdote, but it should still be like a 75-25 proposition where 75% of the time you're talking about the guy. You're talking about him and what makes him such a good person. And for this, I read this and I immediately thought his only value to you is that he supported you. You didn't care about him. You didn't even care about him enough to delete this tweet and spell his name correctly. So I, I just... Well, that's I, the other part of this, right? Like, so the scale metaphor that I was using with Benoit, on one side you have all these good matches and all these, like, positive art contributions that Benoit brought to the business. Um, you don't have that with Hogan, but you have a massive other side of that scale. No, Hogan never killed nobody. Um, but you have a massive other side of the scale of horrible things that Hulk Hogan did that I would argue make him not worth trying to salvage. He is what he is. I'm not saying, you know, delete all the Hulk Hogan matches from the WWE Network or anything like that. But, like, this weird let's try to save Hulk Hogan project, he's unrepentant about the way that he was. He only ever said he was sorry for any of the horrible things he said and did during the aughts in the last decade because he thought it would help him make some more money in the business. Oh, he didn't even say he was sorry for it. He, was, he said, be careful of people with cell phones and cameras. They're all around. He never apologized really for it. He, he, was, he apologized for it leaking out there. That, that's, that's, I, and I'm way more open than a lot of people on the idea that, like, you can, you know, reconsider and be honestly contrite and repent. But, like, he is very much one of those people who's trying to take that sort of pathway back in without doing any of the actual meaningful work that you have to do to really earn that path back. And his wasn't even the worst. It, it, the, the, the tribute on SmackDown, which I'm sure they'll replay on Raw on Monday – Howard Finkel was WWF's first employee. He was the voice. He is a legendary figure worthy of respect. And they, they play these clips, and the first half is going well. And then... He's like fighting the gobbledygooker and stuff. Fighting the gobbledygooker, putting on wigs, playing tennis from Legend's House because they wanted to mock him on that. If you remember when he came back and, and Rich from Voices of Wrestling retweeted this as well, CM Punk really, his dream was to have Howard Finkel announce him. So he comes out after being off the air and he's, and he's holding back tears because the crowd loves him and they know that Punk loves him and they know that this is a big moment for Punk in his life. And Vince is crapping all over him through Michael Cole on the headset. Jerry Lawler, I think, is getting his digs in and I'm, I'm cussing to myself this entire time. I'm like, this is a, this is so vid Oh, he loved to entertain. Let's make, look, look at him making an ass of himself all the time and make fun of him and bully him. And this is Vince's thing. Oh, he, Howard would have appreciated me bullying him. He would have laughed it off. Oh, ha, ha, Vince. But Vince has no respect for anyone who's overweight. Like, like one of the big crimes in life that you can be is overweight. I just, I, I watched that. I went, dude, you couldn't even gone classy for two minutes on Howard Finkel, who is on the Mount Rushmore of ring announcers. 
I mean, and you're trying to save, you're trying to save the brand of your company right now. So many of your panic moves are about WWE. When you buy WWE, you're buying Americana. When you buy WWE, you're buying a slice of America. Well, having an iconic announcing voice and really hitting home that like, you know, Howard Finkel is the voice of so many people's childhood and stuff like that. That is part of the marketing package it, it, beyond everything else, beyond what would be a fitting tribute for Howard Finkel. Now <laughs> it's interesting. Cause I was listening to Meltzer talk about Fink Finkel and part of the reason why his uh, nickname is the Fink, you know, not just the name, but also, uh, he used to be a stooge for the office. He used to be the guy who always made copies of the of the Observer for the higher ups. He'd report on the other. Like him and Brawler seem like the quintessential yeah. like Vince Lackey guys in the eighties, right? Said, let let's remember the good things about Howard Finkel. What was, what is your favorite talent that he announced? Because he has a few that just ring. Every time you think of the talent, that's what I think of is, is the is, – is Man, the it's, got, it's got to be The Undertaker, right? And, and I mean, the, the thing that sticks out to me is one of the last calls that he ever did, he actually did the call for The Undertaker remotely because he wasn't able to come make the date. I think it was in like 2018. But they had him do the call remote because Mark was so intent on Finkel's got to call me and announce me. But The Undertaker – I mean, like, yeah, that's that's – that's the call, man. The two that come to my mind, I love Brett Hitman Hart. Brett, the Hitman Hart. You know, just, just that staccato that he'd always do in his voice. And the other one was oh, Demolition. I always think of de- I always think of him, you know, you have the Rick Derringer guitar in the background. Da, 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 da. He does X, dramatic pause, smash, demolition, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I just, it, it, it sends goosebumps up that stuff time. matters man like yeah. like that is the thing that wwf in the 80s and 90s um even with lesser production values because you listen to the music from like 80s wwf and 90s wwf like some of the early jim johnston stuff where they gave him limited production resources they're not super well produced not like they're well written but they're not well produced tracks they're not they're not the most in-depth especially not by 80s technology by any stretch but with that arena vibe they captured the energy of those acts and then finkel's call um and, and a lot of that stuff about the presentation just gave a certain bigness to acts and smash demolition who could have very easily felt like a small act if you presented them oh, a different they, way they were road warrior knockoffs they were yes middle, they were middle-aged <laughs> men in s&m gear, gear. Yeah, right yeah no but like something about that rick derringer thing acts badass it yeah, yeah. <laughs> same thing with like earthquake earthquakes coming down to the rig and his entire song is just boom ta boom ta and like the calls right the presentations right like you don't have to go over the top with this stuff. Yeah, I know they include him in angles later, and especially on ring announcing angles and things like that. I just, I hated that. I think, I think there's something to giving people positions of respect, and when they get that relationship with the audience, you don't, you don't ruin that. Yeah, and, you don't have Mean Gene down there dancing with the gobbledygooker. You know, you don't, yeah, you don't have Lance Russell dressing up in, you know, what would be a dumb Lance Russell outfit or Bob Cottle. I mean, these were men who commanded respect when they were calling wrestling. They were your 
uncle or your grandfather or whatever, and you trust them. And when they are indignant, you trust their anger and stuff like that. When, when Howard Finkel calls wrestling talent, it makes it feel like this is a legitimate sporting event. And I, I, you know, I, I just, I, I retched at the, the lasting tribute that maybe his wife and his widow tuned in to see because look at the thing he gave all his decades of life for. Let's see how they respect him. Man, in the they see him dressing as a clown. Dude, in the nursing home, he still has on his whiteboard, please tune in the television uh, to Channel 43 Wrestling is on. Like, yes. I mean, this guy was watching this product, this product to the end. And he loved wrestling. You, 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 whatever you want to say about the guy. Like, I mean, he breathed this stuff, man. Like, it, it, it sucks, dude. It, I mean, you go, you asked me earlier, does Vince ever have a real friend? I don't, I mean, how do you look at someone who gave you that many years? How it gave you so much, so much that you can't even put into dollars and just kind of go, yeah, well, the dollars basically covered it. I don't know anything more now. Just got a tweet waiting for Chris and Jeff to give their hot takes on this crazy week via audio. Oh, you're getting them. You're getting them hot and heavy. Uh, my favorite non-wrestling thing, though, if you if you go to YouTube, I think it's still up there. Some guy paid Howard Finkel to do the introductions to the reception, to the wedding dinner reception of the of the people in the wedding party now there's oh, it's a, wonderful there's a different there's there's a ridiculous one where the asian couple came out to the orient express theme but other than that it's absolutely awesome he does it straight he's not doing it tongue-in-cheek he he's a professional's professional on there when he could have half-assed it and it's absolutely awesome i loved howard finkel rob was more of a howard finkel fan than i was but i have come to really really I always find like listening to people like Finkel or anyone who does those big calls, talk about the mechanics of, you know, deciding Tony Schimmel, right? Like talking yeah. about how he decides on edge is rated our superstar. <laughs> like, like yeah, I'm doing more like cookie crisp, uh, but yeah, like, oh, and listen to like uh, Justin Roberts when John, <laughs> the way he says, says that like, extendedly you know there, there's a, there's an art to this and absolutely no they think about all that stuff i, I you mean do you, it well you do you're, you're you're legendary if if it becomes about you and it never became about howard finkel because i mean just anytime he says and new and the crowd would go insane and you knew that that title change meant something and and the number of title changes now i mean look the New Day just won the tag team titles back on Friday. <laughs> you know, via a three and, and congrats to them. And congrats to them on that. Yeah, congrats to them. Probably to punish Miz for being sick. I don't know, but it's just it it feels like nothing because they give the titles to so many people now. But Fink comes from the time when not everybody got a turn with the intercontinental title not everybody got a turn with the world heavyweight title not everybody got a turn with the world tag team titles there were three titles and when they changed it was an event and it and god i miss howard finkel i i i wish 
I wish he had left on better terms. I really do. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I miss the Finkel sensibility. And going back to the Dark Side of the Ring thing, uh, the Montreal Screwjob, I, I think an interesting pivot point in the way Vince presents the business is once he starts becoming that Mr. McMahon character because he becomes really the voice of authority on the screen and no one else can have that authority. That gravitas that you're talking about, that like Mean Gene Okerlund could command to a certain extent, Gorilla Monsoon commanded to a certain extent, Howard Finkel commanded to a certain extent, Vince McMahon on commentary commanded to a certain extent. Gorilla Monsoon. Right. Between like 1985 to like 1993, 1994. I mean, really all the way up to 97, if you want to really kind of put that line in the sand, because JR had that kind of weight as well. There are people on the WWF broadcast who have weight about them. They feel like they're, you know, like that they're important structural bars in the universe. Once Vince makes himself Mr. McMahon, at that point, all order in the WWF universe is now centered through him. And and that's when you start seeing like Jim Ross doing wild and zany Jim Ross stuff. And you see Michael Cole, he's heel Michael Cole on an ounce. And just lots of those sensibilities start creeping And Howard Finkel. That's when he's doing, you know, some of his weirdest bits. Also, he's just trying to stay in the company at that point. But but a lot of that is impulses from Vince deciding to go from a non-playing character to being a playing character on screen. They're, they're the straight men in this in this absurd scene with these big gaudy colors and jacked up dudes and guys carrying snakes. They're the guys who give. But you snake. can't be the straight man to Mister McMahon. Yeah, you that can't. that heel character like the, there's no room for a mean Gene Okerlund to challenge evil Mister McMahon. Because everybody knows Vince McMahon is the owner and he used to be a broadcaster on here, so there's just no way to do that. Um. Oh, there was something I was going to say. Oh, it's another Hawkins truism. And I, I, I use this as my filter for, for WWF and, and really studying it. I think this, yeah, this company went downhill. You nailed it. When Vince McMahon decided he could put himself and his family over trained professionals, it really lost a lot of the, you know, it, you know watching Shane McMahon beat guys who had struggled for years on the indies or Stephanie McMahon beating women who went through actual wrestling training. It just, it just made everything a farce. Yeah. Putting Mr. McMahon in world title angles, right? Yeah. Having Mr. McMahon win the championship. I, I, I mean, once you're doing that, you've transformed WWF into a fundamentally different product by 1998, 1999 than it was in 1993. Oh, God. And, and this week just goes on because later <laughs> we hear now that the WWE has decided <laughs> to now tape shows. Wait, I wait. Are, are you telling me that maybe this COVID-19 <laughs> thing's kind of a big deal and you might need to adjust your production schedule to accommodate for it? I'm guessing maybe some people from the networks heard that Vince might be a little nervous about providing content safely for them. And came to them. And they don't want to be – I bet you they might have gotten the message to him. Like, like they have been like, no, we're not going to be on the hook. We don't want it coming out that USA is saying to WWE – go ahead and make more content. Or Fox is saying to WWE, make all this content. I think that they might want to have an arm's length from this as well. Oh, Chris, I offered Rich Krejci us to take two weeks off to just watch nothing but Jack Victory and John Tatum in, in UWF and talk to him about it. And then we end up with this kind of a week. Here we go. Per Ryan Satin, next week's shows will 
all be live, but tapings will begin on Saturday, April 25th, with two SmackDown shows scheduled for May 1st and May 8th, airings taking place that day. Monday Night Raw shows will be taped from April 27th through at least July 6th. SmackDown will be taped Friday, May 1st through at least Friday, July 10th. And NXT, which airs on Wednesdays, will be taped from April 29th through at least July 8th. Per Ryan Satin, the tapings will be staggered throughout the week with either one or two episodes being shot per day. Of note, Raw will sometimes be shot earlier on the same day it airs. <laughs> I mean, it seems like there is a safer way for them to produce wrestling television where you have just the competitors for a certain match at the arena at that time. People are coming in through staggered entrances and you're able to kind of like clean and make sure that those areas are meeting health code standards. Like it, there's a way to do this in a much smarter way, but you have to first acknowledge that you have a problem on your hands before you can start kind of troubleshooting it. I mean, look, it's, it's way late, way, way, way late, but at least this is a step in a more thoughtful and um, reality-based production model. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think it could lead to more cohesive stories because you have time to edit. You have time yeah. That, to that's my things. hope too. Yeah. That's my hope too, is that they write, they write a coherent thing where you have someone come in and tape three beats of a story at once and then you can edit and shoot those together you have a better continuity with each one of those scenes i like there's a way to do if they actually embrace the situation there's a way to do this that i think is more watchable and more coherent you and i've been talking about the studio wrestling model for a long time i don't think they're going to be so bold as to actually like change the presentation that much but there's a way to do this that's just more sound than they've been doing so now, far. Now, I could see Vince going the other way, too, and going, well, you know what really gives us the energy is that, is that planning things at the last minute thing. So he starts writing the show an hour before air and just doing it that way. And I'm just like, oh, God, I could see this going either way. But, Chris, that's not even the cherry on top of this Sunday. Because... This Sunday tastes horrible, by the way, might I just add. It is a crap Sunday. Or an S Sunday, I will not swear. Because we already have a swear on this episode. Hey, we but, have a couple. You you did one too. Did I? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I try and try and adhere to broadcast standards and stuff. I got ways. I got covered in cat urine, buddy. <laughs> I you know I, I was I was emotional. I, it, it 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 was it was traumatic, and and I rallied through this whole show. Chris, we are having. Qualifying matches for Money in the Bank. Shockingly enough, Dana Brooke beat <laughs> wait, Naomi. Wait, wait, wait. But, but where is Money in the Bank, yes, Jeff? Here we go, Chris. Money in the Bank will be, the, those matches will be taped at WWE headquarters. The briefcases will be hanging all the way up on the roof of the corporate tower. And the theme of this Money in the Bank is climbing the corporate ladder on a week where you fired 30 to 40 on-air talent are you kidding me i'm sorry i had to hold back the sweaters on no i I mean it's like it's completely ridiculous and toe dev i I mean the like there's so many things right like you, you you 
cut all these contracts and you put 30 to 40 people out of income this week. Um, and just on air talent, that has nothing to do with backstage staff. And you're now saying climb the corporate ladder to everyone who's still there, which is basically like a, you're lucky to have jobs. Grab the brass ring guys. This is an opportunity, not a sad day. But the other thing is that there's like this, like big middle finger to society, which is like, you can't shut us down if we're doing it at Titan towers. Like, I want the Connecticut state government to come in and try to shut me down now. Uh, like, like you're challenging norms by saying, oh, our business has the ability to proceed even in these terrible COVID-19 headwinds. Like, it's just, especially as you're trying to signal with the other hand, oh, we're making all these production changes because we want to take into account people's safety, blah, blah, blah. Also, we're going to have a corporate, you know, corporate rally at our headquarters and shoot our pay-per-view there. I <laughs> I remember, and this goes back to the firing thing. I remember the downturn of 2008, and there were a couple other times after that when I worked in big law, and you'd get these these notes from the partners about restructuring to be leaner and meaner. And you know what? There's no problem with business right now, but we, you know, because we're a law firm and our clients are, you know, our clients are under tough times, but we still have work and da, 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 da. And they decided to do profit per partner as their marketing strategy. And so they fired all these old partners who were wise and giving advice. And then half the accounting departments laid off just making more work for everybody else. And you're like these, and they, and they started subleasing departments where I work so that they could make money from renting out office space. And then they put, then they put all the administrative department in one open air space. I remember I was there for that first winter and the first person who got a flu gave it to everybody because nobody thinks these things through. They get like all these consultants and stuff to do this crap. And it's, it just feels like, MBA handbook textbook or Kaizen, you know, here's how to, here's how to run a, 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 a giant company on a shoestring budget. And they're going to go into their bad types of uh, impulses. And they're going to overfilm this thing in this, in the, in this building with all these empty cubicles of like Bob from accounting who they fired and in the break rooms that nobody gets to use anymore. And we're all going to be reminded of this crap. And it just, I, I could not believe, well, that was the plan we're going through with it, man. Think for a while. Think for a second about what that does to people who are watching it. I'm sorry. I, I went off on a bit of a tangent, came back, brought it back hard. Landed the dismount, Chris, please. No, I, I thought it was, it, was, it was a solid tangent and a solid return, if, if, I, may, <laughs> if I might say so, uh, make, to make a meta point about your point. Oh. No, I, I mean, I, I just – I don't really know what to say. Like, I, I, how do you get excited about this money in the bank when you're not necessarily sure that – I mean, Strowman's going to have a job, right? But it makes also the narrative kind of – hard to get invested in because who's going to be a character in these upcoming storylines who might not be with the company in two months? Yeah, I just, uh, it's weird because I, I think I can see certain fingerprints on what's going to happen at Money in the Bank. Um, other talent things to clean up from the week because we don't have time to go through TV reviews, I don't think. Um, There's not a lot to even really Sonya review DeVille's from TV. promo was great. I just thought she needed to hold on to the crying thing for a little bit longer instead of making it purely a fake thing 
and then and then kind of transition to the anger because that's what happens to people like that who are really truly hurt is you you cry and you cry and you cry and eventually you turn and you get angry and angry and angry and i thought you know i thought i think she's a pretty good actress um yeah and, and i mean her character really i mean we've been saying it for a long time they getting as they got away from the mma thing they lost kind of the magic of what makes sonia deville kind of work she's got those fierce eyes and she's got like a real like intensity and ferocity of what should have been happening there is after the crying sort of subsides that should have broken into like ken shamrock style rage yes um and because really if, if you want to get this heel baby face dynamic going between Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. Sonya Deville needs to waylay Mandy Rose and we need to have Sonya beating up pretty Mandy and Mandy's scared for herself and Otis is trying to get Sonya off and Sonya like even like punches Otis. And, I mean like it needs to look like Mandy's really got her back up against the wall because this Sonya Deville is a bit of a killer. Oh, but that's definitely not the. And they didn't. And they didn't do it that way. They did. No. Manny, oh, I'm so glad you said that because the problem was a little bit that. See, see, Sonia dropped the ruse too early, in my opinion. I think she needed to cry, and then Mandy needed to feel a little bit bad, because Sonia's kind of right on a lot of this until she got to the "you suck," and and that that's I mean Mandy needed to try and kind of hey we can still be friends type of thing, before, Sonia you know. Instead, it became the I see through the crocodile te tears thing. And it just, it didn't work for me. Um, and I think the plan will be Tamina versus Aunt Pam. Uh, Aunt Pam wins and Sasha cashes in money in the bank. I think that's kind of where they're going here. But Dana Brooke, Dana Brooke is in this thing over Naomi. This is, this is also a Vince move where after you make firings, there's people you think would be fired that they give that one last chance to. I think this is it. I think I think she's he's trying to see what they have with Dana Brooke here. Yeah, uh, and maybe Dana Brooke is just someone who's uh, a fairly cheap contract for them to keep on right now. Well, she was also not able to do WrestleMania, so they could be a make good. I, I think she looked pretty good in that match against Naomi. I'm just interested in when when ladders are involved, things get weird, and I get a little scared because people get hurt on these things. I hate this match with a passion but i just uh, also think that like their ability to shoot this on top of titan towers is not going to be as good as they think it is like I, make somebody climb a ladder on top of a skyscraper where it's windy right right i don't think they've thought that out in the slightest um i'm very worried about like a strong gust of wind yes blowing over the ladder and maybe hurting a talent like how are you going to protect for wind I, I mean what is the plan there are they going to put up like plastic uh shields to like wind shield? I, I like i don't think that they've thought this out very hard i think that vince thought of the visual of wouldn't it be cool if you were climbing the ladder on top of a skyscraper like yeah in the movie die hard Sure, Bruce Willis climbs some sort of ladder for some bullshit reason to do a thing to save the day. Okay, yeah, it's neat. In the context of a wrestling match, no, it's actually kind of dangerous because in a movie, you can tape Bruce Willis climbing the ladder on top of a skyscraper from the comfort of a st sound studio on the first floor. Um, at Titan Towers, Vince is going to want to shoot this thing on top of Titan Towers. And he's going to want to do that part live. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to film the rest of it. You know, there's there's going to be some cheeky thing where wrestlers end up brawling in his office in front of that dumb Tyrannosaurus Rex skull, and you know, you know, they'll they'll probably end up like in accounting, throwing each other through cubicles, and maybe we'll go back to the boardroom that's uh, framed with a steel cage. Yeah, you know, we'll have we'll have those sight gags, and then and then live, his grand idea will be. Well, let's have them climb the ladder live so that it seems real. This whole time. I could see that happening. I could see there'd be harnesses involved just in case for safety, which not a great history with WWF and harnesses. Um, yeah, I just, I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, and I think on the raw side, it's going to be interesting. I, I loved MVP's bait and switch because I thought for sure it was going to be like Jeff Hardy being the pioneer of the ladder matches that would be it but it's gonna be mvp doing yet another match against apollo cruz and i think somehow mvp ends up starting to manage apollo cruz out of this i think that's where where they're going with this any thoughts on any show across the board because we kind of hit it up on top we kind of hit it up on bottom yeah no like i look i like mvp a lot i think mvp and apollo cruz if they have any sort of commitment to it could be a really interesting fresh coat of paint um mvp works really good playing off of somebody else. Uh, he's not really, I mean, especially at this point in his career, not really bringing it super hard to the ring, although he's still got a little bit left to give there, like, you know, on, on some level. But I, I do like the idea of him as a mentor for Apollo Crews. I just, it's, it is so hard to get invested in plots in this product right now because I don't have any faith in the execution of them. No, I don't. I, I don't either. They haven't been doing out of the box thinking and it's too late for that now we're kind of i don't know we might be on the downside of this thing i i think we're pushing I, it yeah no, i know i'd like to think that but then i'm looking at stories coming out of like africa and south america and i still think we just have a ways to go right well, now Virginia shut down till june 15th sure sure yeah and, and i mean i've seen dod's yeah. dod's uh shutting down their stuff until uh june uh 30th like i mean you know i i they if you're WWE right now and you're doing planning, I, I think the responsible form of planning has to be at least looking at like two more months, um, you know, minimum. Uh, at least have a game plan for that. If you're if you're able to deviate away from that and back away from that, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, I, I think you, you know, planning for the middle of June uh, would be, I somewhere around the conservative to middle of the road estimate right now. I would say. I'm spent. I'm emotionally spent. I've spent so much time hating Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan this week. I can't think straight. I, next week has to be better. Has to be better. Let's hope for the best. I oh, mean, man. he can't do more horrible things. No, no, don't. you're right. No, 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 no. no, no. I, I got to stop. I got to stop because I, I, I got myself in trouble on Friday. Uh, <laughs> I get worse from here. <laughs> uh, or, hey, and things are actually going all right for me. Normally, I get really kicked in the balls with all these oh, economic changes. That, yeah. That, 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 <laughs> yeah, I know. Chris got furloughed, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, yesterday. Um, oh, we, the whole company did. Um, I mean, dude, my, my, my boss was walking us through how to apply for unemployment benefits on TWC because he was doing it himself. Yeah. Um, so I, I real quick, I will mention, um, we are still somewhat open. Uh, if you want guitar lessons from me, go to taylorrobinsonmusic.com. You can sign up for web camera lessons. I'm teaching guitar lessons, bass lessons. If you've ever been interested in doing that and you're sitting at home, got a little bit of cabin fever, please support our business 
guys. We will be back at some point, but yeah, right, right now we have <laughs> my, my my poor boss is having to do everything for ten of us right now, um, for non monies. <laughs> like it, it's we're trying to keep the lights on. So if you want to support us there, of course, and I'm at Christopher Bruno, and uh, my other shows. Don't worry about the government. Check that out. Don't worry. TV and um, patreon.com slash DWATG if you want to support for a buck a show over there. Yeah, we don't really do much on on our Patreon anymore, but you can throw a couple bucks Chris's way. I don't keep any of that money. I am still employed and having the whip cracked on me. <laughs> just, just, it's like <laughs> I can't concentrate and they just go, no, there, nothing's changed, Jeff. Or you can go to the Red Circle site for Shake Them Ropes, which is, I believe, linked within the show description and use the tip jar there i don't get any of the money chris gets all the money while he's on furlough actually he gets all the money anyways because i do this for fun you can follow me at crap game 13 i sound defeated i am defeated let's get out of here bye guys we'll see you this week